Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. Glad you're all here this morning. All right. So as I I read to you a minute ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, grab a seat, make yourself comfortable, fellas. I'll introduce you guys in just a second. I want to just share something from this, from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, of first importance, here we go, the buddies are already like making eyes and goofing off. All right, here we go. (laughs) You better behave up here, you're in your church. All right, this is what Paul says, of first importance, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And it was of first importance that Jesus was buried. And it's of first importance that he was raised from the dead. This is the most important thing in the whole Bible, is that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. That he came to earth clothed in flesh, lived a sinless life in this world, calling the world to repent of sin and place their faith not in themselves or in another ideology, but in him exclusively. And he repeatedly claimed, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. Jesus stood boldly, unashamedly on several occasions and even challenged people saying, who can find sin or fault in me? And no one had anything on him. He was unjustly tried and put to death. And though he died on a cross at the hands of a mob, his death was not just something that was being done horizontally. His death was understood vertically. That as he died, his death was in the place of our sins so that you would not be held accountable before God for your own sin, but you now would be held accountable in Christ, that Jesus is your righteousness, and that Jesus is unlike any other human being that's ever walked this earth. Even Father Abraham is buried in Hebron. The prophet Muhammad is buried in Medina in 631. Buddha is buried in India. Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the grave. And because Jesus is resurrected and has ascended to the right hand of God, he is changing people's lives. He's changing mine and he's changing many of yours. If you're not a Christian today, I hope you leave today knowing Jesus. Unashamedly, we came here gathered around the person and the work of Jesus. And so with that being said, Jesus has not just changed my life and many of your lives. He's changed these guys' lives, I think. Um, Boy, I hope so, because we're trying to be pastors here. Um, Jesus has changed these men's lives. And so I thought it would be really great to have just a day where we pause from preaching through the gospel of Mark and go, let's hear from some of our leaders and guys that are aspiring to leadership here in our church and just hear their stories of how Jesus changed them. And so... I might have to translate a little for this one um, from, from Troy, Alabama. I just returned from a trip visiting family in Alabama. I had to translate for my children occasionally. They're like, what is granddad trying to say right now? It's like, 
Anyway, <laughs> it's just, it is what it is. So um, I want you guys just to share your stories. Take five minutes each or so and walk us through. So um, Mark, we hear from you all the time. Let's start with, yeah. let's start with Justin, yeah? I was trying to handle it. All right, there you go. <laughs> Introduce yourself, be nice, all the rest. Hey guys, my name is Justin Rigoloso. Uh, like Alex said, I grew up in the rural southeast. Uh, some of you may need some translation. Uh, feel free to raise your hand and ask questions. <laughs> I have tried really hard to tone down the accent, but whenever you share your story, whenever you share things that are important and passionate, it's probably gonna come out. Uh, so at any time, Alex may come up and uh, give a little bit of instruction. Um, like I said, I grew up in the rural southeast. Uh, but it was a very uh, different upbringing than what you might have assumed uh, in the Southeast. My, uh, my childhood was pretty difficult. Uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home. Both of my parents were uh, radically opposed to Christ, would be, you know, they would consider themselves avowed atheists. Um, I was born, believe it or not, pretty sickly and pretty scrawny. Um, but I'm here today as a champion. <laughs> uh, I, I have overcome uh, failure to thrive. Um, but part of that, growing up pretty sickly, um, it was difficult because you were made to feel a lot of times very weak and incapable. Uh, my home life was, was pretty traumatic. My parents divorced pretty early on when I was two. It was a very acrimonious divorce. Um, and any of you who were uh, byproducts of a divorce can imagine the, the loneliness mm -hmm. and the feelings of being unwanted. Um, and it was pretty difficult. Uh, growing up, uh, at the time I did not know uh, why this was happening. I was experiencing a lot of emotional abuse uh, and a lot of abject neglect. Uh, my mother at the time was having some pretty severe mental illness struggles uh, and drug and alcohol. Um, so on top of feeling weak, lonely, unwanted, uh, just very undirected. My mom later on got remarried uh, to another abusive man and he had other children, and it's very difficult when you already feel alone, weak, afraid, and unwanted to be made to compete for love. And most of my early teenage years was spent trying to compete, trying to earn my love, trying to feel valuable any ways necessary. Um, my stepfather was a pretty stringent kind of guy. It was very difficult to earn love. Um, so I constantly felt unwanted, unloved. And I, I say these things repeatedly uh, to drive home these points. It's a huge part of my testimony. Being made to feel like you can never get anything right was incredibly detrimental. Um, I, was a, I was aware of the church. We were, I guess the terminology now would be Christian adjacent. You know, I had heard, um, I had heard the teachings of Jesus. I knew intimately what it meant to, because of my sinful life, I deserved punishment in hell. I deep down knew it, I understood it, and part of me was ready for it. It was difficult. Uh, I got to college, 
um, after, I guess a lot of you guys can probably relate to this, a pretty, a pretty early on uh, relationship that, believe it or not, did, did not make it. Um, I felt like I had nothing. I had nobody. Um, I was so desperate to be wanted, seen as worthy, to feel accepted. Uh, and I was at a brand new school. Uh, I didn't know anybody. And a couple days into school, I got approached by some guys who were like, hey, you want to hang out? And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. You know, life can't suck much more than it does now. I'll give it a shot. And they started to tell me things about themselves. They started to tell me things about the church organization that they were in. Um, and a lot of these things started to contrast what I'd grown up hearing. Again, I was familiar with, you know, for the wages of sin is death. Um, your life is, you, your life, you're at enmity with Christ. You deserve death and hell. I was familiar with that, knew that I deserved it, but they started to talk about that the gospel was Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and he suffered and he died for you. And that totally turned my whole life of penance, performance, unworthiness on its head. Because someone finally said, Justin, you were incredibly sinful. Yes, you know that. But it's important to know that Christ lived this perfect life. He died. He got up on the cross. He suffered and died. There is no room for you to get up on the cross and suffer and die. You don't have to. You were perfectly loved. Through his sacrifice, through his perfect life, you're considered worthy. And all of your efforts at trying to earn and self-punish are, are misspent. Not only is this unneeded, actually, Justin, this is idolatry. You're saying that through your efforts, through your self-punishment, maybe you could get up on the cross and die. Maybe that would atone for your sins. Not only is it unneeded, it's unwanted, and it's idolatry. Um, and so I prayed to receive Christ when I was 21. It was in uh, 2001 for those younger kids. There was a point in time when we referred to dates as like 2000 and 19 to 98. Um, most of this front row probably has no clue. Um, so I got, I got early. So yeah, so I got involved in college ministry early on. Um, as you guys have probably heard, the sinful flesh takes a lifetime of mortification. It is a lifetime of repentance. Part of me in Christian ministry, ministry was very much like, yes, I want to evangelize. I want to minister. I want to learn how to disciple and mentor. And all these things were great. But through doing this, it was still just a slightly different application of trying to earn my salvation. Um, Granted, I knew a lot of different terms, a lot of new different ministry strategies. I learned how to pray. I, you know, I, I did start to see, you know, evidences of Christ in me. Um, but it was still difficult to kill the earner. Um, so in 2005, Molly and I started to date and get married. Um, and we started our, our young Christian life. And uh, unbeknownst to us, we would be uh, infertile. We struggled with about 10 years of infertility which adds a lot of pain on top of your, your marriage. Um, also, too, I am a survivor of some church abuse. Um, that was difficult. And so because of a lot of the past was not completely dealt with, 
because I was still an earner, because I still felt like that I need to suffer for my sins, I need to, to pay for it, uh, I developed some pretty difficult mental health issues that um, I unfortunately unloaded on my wife and almost crushed her um, on top of infertility and some crushing mental illness. Uh, it was a very difficult time in my marriage uh, for both Molly and myself. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I came across this quote. Um, it's one that you guys have probably heard before, and it goes back to the very beginning, but I don't know, maybe, say maybe 10 years ago, I finally understood that the bridge of Christ's grace is worthy enough, is strong enough, and is beautiful enough to bear the burden of my sin. I don't have to do it. My wife doesn't have to do it. This has been done. And it was from there, it was more a solidifying thing that, yes, Christ, I can trust you. You're good. You're worthy. You're more than self-sufficient. Um, and it wasn't until recently that uh, this started to happen. So I don't know if any of you guys are familiar. In the South, when you share your testimony, it's always the big the big changes like, oh, I went from crack addict to pastor. Um, that always seems like those are, those are the big ones. Okay, so I don't know. I might have spoiled something. Uh, hopefully not. Doubtful. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It is, life is a process of it's a slow, painful, awkward, constant journey of repentance. And that's what perseverance is. And so I guess if I, could, if I could end it with a couple of things. Um, for those of you that may be struggling with shame, uh, that may be struggling with uh, difficult pasts, it is a process of healing. These are deep heart wounds. Um, they need to be dealt with carefully and constantly, uh, and they can take a great deal of time. So I think one of the goals, a lot of people have said, you know, what do you, self, what do you see yourself doing as an elder is just being a caring presence that is willing to wade into difficult situations, family and self, and to say, hey, it's not any kind of strategies and it's not my story, but if I could do one thing, if I could mirror Christ, make him and his work beautiful uh, through my experiences and remind you that he is worthy uh, and he is sufficient and that it is a, a joyful yet terrifying thing to know that you are not, you are not sufficient to atone for your own sin. Um, and that's pretty much my story. I would love to answer any questions now or, or later. Let's do um, those at the end. Let's hold those to the end. Oh, we'll hold those to the yeah, end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for your time. Thanks, uh, thank you for letting me share. Killer. Thank Thanks, Justin. Hit it, B. Is this, is just passing down you, man. the line? Yeah, this is me. It is now. Um, <clears throat> My story will be different than what we alluded to a moment ago. Um, uh, beautiful story, I'm sure, of being an addict to a pastor, but that's not mine. Uh, um, but no, thanks. And just to, con yes, I don't ask questions now, but to comment on your desire of being a presence to wade into things you're very gifted at. So thankful that you're here. Um, my name's Brian Scherenberg, and... Um, Nice to meet you all. This is a little bit of a different setting. Uh, I'm not going to remember all your names if you tell me now. I know most of you, most of y'all, but um, yeah, I'd be glad to share my story of just what God has done in my life, is doing in my life, what I hope He will continue to do in my life. Um, but a little bit of background on me um, for those of you from uh, for those of you from the Northwest. 
Um, you know, people refer to Idaho, which is my home state, but I, I always kind of classify that I'm from North Idaho. And I think there's a little bit of pride in the fact that I think North Idaho is a beautiful place to be. I know there's some others of y'all from, yeah, from this area. So um, grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, beautiful place. Um, but a uh, little bit of how, how I grew up, I would say, is um, I think you, you use the term uh, is it Christian um, adjacent? Christian yes. adjacent. Which that was new to me, <laughs> by the way, Christian adjacent. Um, but I would say I was perhaps Christ, uh, Christian indifferent, if that's a thing. Um, so a bit of growing up for me, I was a fam, uh, you know, what I would say, all, all that I knew at the time, typical American family. Um, you know, in the sense of this was, you know, in the 80s at the time, uh, you know, mom and dad, um, one older brother, you know, healthy family for all I knew. I, th I think, you know, it's just like, hey, this is growing up. And, and part of uh, being growing up in America, oh, we're a Christian nation and, you know, we're, you, you kind of do good and you're good, good people. And um, so my idea of in terms of faith from a young age was just, yeah, we're, we're a Christian family. And, you know, I'm, you be a good person, you try and do your best and you contribute to society and those kind of things. And, and that's, that's what I, I thought um, faith was. So, um, but it wasn't, I would say, in terms of indifferent, it, it didn't, uh, didn't daily impact my life. You know, I think my was about uh, the things I was passionate about are, you know, still remain like adventure and activity and, you know, I daydreamed of skiing and snowboarding and skateboarding and, and all those kind of things and just thought that that's what, that's what life is. Life is in your experiences and kind of what, um, what you can do. But, um, but in terms of, uh, you know, the, the early years for me, um, I wanted to share this morning just about what what the transformation was from understanding, you know, growing up until I was a teenager, I just thought Christianity and faith was just kind of a thing on the side. It was an affiliation, or it was you know an idea that you had, but it wasn't it wasn't your life. And um, you know, my parents, I would say my faith or, or what I thought faith was was driven from my mom. Uh, my mom, you know, a little bit of just quick background on her story, just real tough childhood, tough upbringing. She came to know Jesus in college, and I wouldn't have articulated this at the time, but I knew mom's faith was important to her. I see her praying in the morning. I see her reading her Bible, and um, my idea of, you know, kind of the family unit was, oh, you know, the mother is the one who cares about these things, um, which was, was cool, um, and in hindsight, extremely grateful for um, the impact that it had on me, but uh, my dad's perspective was more of indifference. It was, you know, he was supportive, but he was less involved at the time. And, um, and so early on, we, you know, we would attend church on occasion. It was kind of something that mom wanted the kids to do, and, and we would go. And, but there reached, there reached a point in um, elementary school, so I was probably, you know, fourth, fifth grade, like, um, some of the kids here at Redemption where um, I think my, my parents wanted to raise us having an independent choice and mindset. And I remember being sat down and kind of said, hey, you guys are getting older. You guys can choose if, if you want to go to church or not. And um, the church we were a part of at the time, I'll say Kidsman was not as fun as it is here. Um, <laughs> but I thought, I don't want to go. 
it's it's not fun. I don't really have any friends there. Like, not interested. And so, um, yeah, we just kind of we we phased away from faith, phased away from church. Um, I would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, um, but it's not that important to me. Well, interestingly enough, I was you know later on. So fast forward um, a handful of years, 16 or 17, at a good friend. Uh, that uh, that was a, a girl that soon became a girlfriend. And in my mind, I kind of, I think, typified her as what this hardcore Christian would be. Uh, meaning, she went to church on the weekends. She, you know, I know, right? Uh, she went to church on the weekends. She, she sang in the youth group. Uh, she talked about God. I was in a spot where I was like, I don't, I don't really, yeah, it's kind of important personally, but you don't really talk about him. She did crap. Um, <laughs> she did not, no. <clears throat> not part of this story. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but she asked me when, I, when, when we were getting to know each other, she said, Brian, are you a Christian? And I said, you know, just kind of off the cuff, said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm just not hardcore. And I think at that moment, I, you know, I started to wonder internally, which now I, I believe is the Holy Spirit, you know, prompting my heart. But I was, you know, started to wonder, what does it mean really to be a Christian? Because I think at the time, I would have articulated, well, being a Christian is doing good. Being a Christian is you believe in God. Being a Christian is you go to church. And, um, you know, it was these things about, do I do good? Do I obey? Do I, you know, believe this thing? Do I live this way? And I, and I started to wonder, there's a lot of, there's, or I started to recognize, there's a lot of I in that. There's a lot of, like, evaluating myself against others, or how do I stack up against my idea of what good enough is, or what, you know, the proper belief is. And so I think that was, a, I was 16 at the time, and I started to just, uh, which I had never been interested in faith other than uh, this kind of idea of fear, of you, you better figure it out or else at the end of your days, like, what's going to happen if you don't? I think that had been my only motivation prior. But this began to, as soon as that question was asked and I started to wonder, it's like, what, what is this about? And I, and I think I had met a number of people through this girlfriend at the time, her family. They were just different, you know? And I think my, my family, you know, bless them. They were great, but uh, we weren't as, at the time, we were not as emotionally involved. We didn't, you know, show affection uh, in, in these ways that felt genuinely loving. And, and I started to notice, like, there's a difference with these people that call themselves Christian and live in a different way um, that was really appealing to me, honestly. Wow. And, I, and so I just began to wonder, what is the difference? Um, she had this, this girl, hardcore Christian, I, I, I refer to her, <laughs> Um, is still a good friend of ours, of my wife and I. Um, but uh, she, was, she had been inviting me to come to youth group with her. They had a really, really cool youth group. I doubted uh, when the invitations were coming, but eventually I said, yeah, I'll go. Um, I went as a teenager, and, you know, I went with her and was like, these people are, these people are pretty cool. Um, they're actually genuine. They're interested in some of the things that I'm interested in. They're not just, like, sitting around. I wasn't interested in board games. I don't want to knock board games, but they're not just sitting around playing board games all the time. Like, they, they like to do some of the things that I like to do and um, seem to care about me as a person. Um, and so there were just some things that I began, these ideas of what it means to be a Christian and love God and love people began to, like, I began to see something different than what I knew growing up. 
Um, but things really changed when I, I just heard a clear articulation of what, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And it challenged my idea of do I stack up enough, well enough to this standard? And the, the youth pastor at this, I remember quite vividly just him unpacking about much of what Justin shared, you know, a, a, in different words. I don't know the words that he used at the time, but it was an idea that Jesus is good enough. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus uh, did everything basically that you cannot do well enough, Brian. And I, I think in that moment, uh, there was a humility genuinely of, of, wow, I don't stack up. I can't stack up. I can't be good enough. No matter how hard I try, like mm. it's not going to be accomplished. And I think I flipped from thinking I, I could to I never will. And, and there was a kind of a, honestly, a moment of what I would call, you know, genuine grief over kind of like, I can't do it. And there was also a, at the same moment, a, um, what I would call joy of, I don't need to. And so, um, yeah, there was that moment of, I would say, yielding to you know, this, this kind of trying and trying and trying and thinking it would accomplish it, but always having an, un, uh, being unsure of will it be enough to, I don't need to, and uh, Jesus has done it for me. And I'd say that, you know, my, in terms of what happened um, at that moment and in my life, like there, I would say there was a, a genuine love for God that began to be apparent. I, you know, I wanted to um, I was the guy who, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but not hardcore, meaning I don't want to talk about God or I don't want to go there. And I began to have a love for, I'm really curious about what the Bible says. I'm really curious about um, who is God really and what is true of my life and started to see this transformation where I had been, you know, me and my buddies would crack jokes and make fun of people. And I started to feel like I don't really want to do that anymore. I don't like how that treats people. And so began to just see some changes, I'd say, in my heart um, and in my life of just a, a genuine, like, I don't really know where this is from, um, but I'm, I'm beginning to feel like a different person. And, um, and I would say over time, you know, maybe an early on understanding of what the gospel does or what becoming a Christian is about is like, oh, you, you know, you become a Christian and you're a better and better person. Like, that, you know, that was kind of my idea. Like, yeah, you become this, this good person. But oddly enough, that's not quite what happened. Um, you know, maybe, yes, from the outside appearance, like my life was changing and I'm beginning to be different. But I would say my awareness of how much I am not has actually continued to grow over time. You know, that was, I was 17. I'm in my early 40s now. And I'd say over those years, you know, it's like a, you'd think of a, of a, um, of a graph. It's like awareness of how much you need God's grace has just continued to grow. And um, over time, you know, I would, early on, I thought, okay, I'll get it figured out. I'll become better. But the reality for me has been uh, more and more awareness of how much I do fail. And, you know, this idea of, of success thinking kind of from early on, you know, about how good of a person I am, I would say it's flipped in terms of success now is how quickly do I recognize and uh, repent? You know, how quickly can I say I'm not good enough, I need help? Um, which for me, honestly, I think I'm, I'm still, I still fight against an independent spirit. 
I still fight against, I want to do it on my own. I, I'm going to try and be good enough. And um, for me, I think that's the, what feels like at this point, a lifelong battle of, you know, can I, um, can I do it on my own or can I become quicker to recognize that I need help? Along with that growing awareness, I'd say, of my need for God has been, you know, if it's a, I need, I need two arms here, but, you know, think of like a, a graph like this. And, you know, the top line that's growing is awareness of my need for God. And the, the bottom line that's growing is awareness of how good he is. And um, the result of that, you know, I picture that you talked about the bridge of Christ's grace. You know, and if you think about over time, it's like the gospel for me has continued to become greater. Um, early on, yeah, Jesus is good. You know, I need him. And his grace is great. Over time, 30 years later, gosh, I need him more today. You know, I need him uh, more today. So um, I would say just where I'm at now is, uh, you know, I've, I'm still uh, trying to, um, still trying to figure it out, still trying to fight against this independent spirit, um, still want to be quickly reminded of how good he is and how much I need him. And um, yeah, I, I guess the, the, the last thing I would say is I, I hope my life is defined by a success of how quick I am to repent, you know, and how quick I am to recognize his need. So I'm excited, I think, for the, the, just to be sitting up here with these men and the fact that we get to be involved in leading our church. And, and that's humbling to me, to be quite honest, um, because it feels like a, it's a tall order uh, from somebody who uh, doesn't feel like they have it all together. Uh, by any means, um, but uh, I guess the, the joy in it comes from knowing, like, if there's anything, my hope is that we would grow in our success of being quick to repent together um, and recognizing how good how good God is for us. So that's what I've got. So good. Thanks, B. Mm. Love you, dude. Mm. Thanks, guys. Uh, my name is Ben Lacey, and I am a uh, lay elder here at Redemption for the last, I think, six years or so. Um, and when I remember the day that I, um, you know, went forward and, and um, was voted on to be an elder. Uh, a few people in the meeting had asked, like, what to tell a little bit about your story. And um, I remember what I shared is that I um, have been blessed with a pretty boring testimony. So um, <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, no, no crack. Thank I don't you, know why we keep talking about that here, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was um, not only blessed with a boring testimony, but I think also just blessed with uh, a solid faith too, which, mm. you know, um, seasons come and go, but that, that has continued. So that's uh, definitely that's a blessing. So um, I, I was uh, raised in Iowa, Northwest Iowa, which um, is an ag-focused agri agricultural state, as many of you know. Um, my dad was a physical therapist, and we grew up kind of, uh, outside of a medium-sized city um, in the country, and great um, place to grow up. It was a Christian context, but pretty blue-collar, pretty um, lots of stuff, uh, you know, dig under the surface a little bit, and that Christian context is, is really hard to reconcile. Um, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church and um, felt um, supported throughout my um, entire time there. I, I see Rachel Woolley, and congrats on your graduation. I remember the, like standing in front of the church when I graduated um, from high school and seeing all these people that had poured into my life that whole time. So that was, that was a blessing to me. Um, 
I think, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Works every time. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I was five, I went to Sunday school, and um, Louise McGrail, who my mom still keeps me up, updated on, she, um, she was my teacher, and she's in hospice, I think just starting hospice right now, but um, she's still alive. She's like 99, I think. Um, That's but I remember hearing from her, she would like play the piano a little bit and then teach a little bit. And um, one day I just walked out of there and I, I felt like I, I know what I need. I, I need Jesus. And, um, you know, I'd heard my mom, you know, really poured into all of us um, just daily about the gospel every day. And for some reason that day just hit me and I was like five. Um, and so that's, that's the day that I count as when I became a Christian. Um, that being said, like the rest, the next 40 years has been kind of, um, (laughs) it's like reconciling this idea of how, and you guys have shared the same thing, but how, how do we walk a Christian walk and balance the gift that we were given of, you know, his Holy Spirit, um, with the works that are so obvious in front of us? Um, I think... For me, um, the biggest struggle has been how do I how do I respond to the gospel without making it about what I can do and about excellence and about um, even service. Sometimes service can be can be an idol that you just pursue. Um, I think as I went to college, um, I was blessed to be around people that didn't have the same upbringing that I did, and I, and, you know, think what you will about Christian higher education, but where I, where I went, it was a a wonderful experience of, um, you know, reconciling faith and learning in a, in an environment where you had new freedoms, too, and um, I think I, I carry that idea till now, like, how do, how do I think about the world, and how does that translate to my faith, Um, and I think those, those should be some, those, should, those questions should be asked um, really every day for all of us. We can't separate those two. And I think before that time, I had really separated like what I'm learning in school and, and how I think about the world and my faith were separate. Um, but in college, um, culturally, like how do we interact with culture as, as Christians from, you know, as a biology major? So how do I view the world? Um, and then I also played baseball and, um, you know, I was... I remember walking in that freshman year, um, just thinking I was gonna be, you know, it was NAI, like small school baseball, so it wasn't a big deal, but I thought I was gonna be the best, and um, very quickly realized that I wasn't, and my pitching coach, who is a very influential person in my life, really, his, his mantra was, it's all about love, and um, so thinking about that too, like, the idea that we're still pr- proceeding with those works and those um, talents that were given and those those opportunities for service, but really focusing on the idea that um, that that we need to see, feel God's love in our heart and respond thus thus. Um, so that idea that it's all about love. And so I I guess I'm just sharing that today, like walking through this idea of um, you know pursuing each other out of through God's love is really hard. Um, it's hard when you fail each other, it's hard when um, 
you know, it, it doesn't land the way that you would hope. But I think at a place like Redemption, um, you know, working with these guys and all of you who serve, and um, man, I, th I think that we're, we're really called to love each other and to, to be examples of God's love, no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter how, you know, our, whether we've had a boring testimony or, or a not boring testimony. I think the, the, the idea that we have each other and, and we can um, serve our community around us out of love, I think, is, is an amazing opportunity. Um, and I, I feel blessed to be part of that here at Redemption as an elder. So thank you. Yeah, dude. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. There's <laughs> a cap. There you go. Dude, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, my name is Mark Dunford. I'm one of your pastors here. Um, yeah, my, my story with the church is, is kind of hit or miss. Uh, I, I grew up a military kid. We moved... Uh, mostly in the southeastern United States, um, and so Christian adjacent. I've never heard that, uh, but I'll take that. That's great, uh, including Alabama. We found out we live not very far from each other when I lived in Alabama. So um, I, I don't think I had a it, it, It's funny to listen to you talk about like the opportunities or the people that have presented gospel to you or invited you to things. I had more than ample opportunity to know the church, to know Jesus. I think it is hard in the Southeast to not have a working vocabulary of the church. Uh, the amount of times I got invited to youth group, I mean, it wasn't as cool as ours. I mean, you can get me enough candy to go to that. Um, but, but certainly had opportunities to dabble in it or think about it or form an opinion about the church, but to be perfectly honest, did not want a whole lot to do with it uh, based on what I had seen and experienced. Uh, so I, I'm trying to think of how best to, um, I, I think I, I distanced myself from the church for sure. Um, but oddly enough, so I was a graphic design major uh, when I first went to school, I went to art school, the thing your parents all dream of. Um, you know, Ben's a doctor. I went to art school. Um, and, you know, I got, I got a two-year technical degree, and I started my design career and decided that um, I really wanted to pursue law. I really liked helping people um, and, and really thought that that would be something I wanted to get into. But a, a, it's called a AAA. It's the technical side of a bachelor's degree. Uh, does you absolutely no good applying to law school, at least not a reputable law school. Um, so I had to go back and get a bachelor's degree after the fact, or as Melinda calls my adult learning season. Um, I, um, so I looked, at a number, I looked at a number of schools. Um, I looked at Western Washington, but I was gonna have to do four years there and I didn't wanna go do four years of academic anything. There's a reason I went to art school. And, um, but oddly enough, Seattle Pacific, who some of you guys know is a Wesleyan Christian school here locally, had a transfer program for people with, with the AAA, with the technical side of a bachelor's degree, and they would teach you general ed, uh, and you could go there and, 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 and they would basically complete a bachelor's degree for you. This is what the offer was. It's not a cheap offer, because if you know Seattle Pacific, you know that wasn't cheap. But I, I, all I needed to do was two years worth of schooling, and they had basically set it up where if I went, if I did the two years and I, I did about 18 to 21 credits a, a term, I could double major in history. 
And so I would be able to apply to law school with a, uh, with a proper research major, like an adult. And so I, I went there, and um, they wanted me to sign a statement of faith. I refused. They wanted me to sign um, a statement saying I would abstain from alcohol. I absolutely refused. And uh, I, you know, but, but I had to take the core classes there. One of them was in Bible. It was not well taught. Um, but one of them was in apologetics. And um, uh, Tim Keller's Reason for God had just come out at that point. It was required reading for this course. And I felt like he was so fair to me and what I thought of the church and what I thought about the deep questions that the church was trying to answer. And I didn't feel like he was setting up straw man arguments to simply knock down, but I felt like he was genuinely engaging with the questions. And I kept coming away really liking his answers. Uh, not necessarily believing them to be true, but kind of wanting them to be true. And uh, during that term, my younger sister got married um, on St. Patrick's Day. Great, great day. And while I was at my sister's wedding, her matron of honor, who I knew in high school, uh, came up to me and she, she said, um, you know, how's life going and all this stuff? And I'm explaining it to her and I was, and, and, I don't know why I was so honest with her, um, but I was, I was steadily drinking at least five nights a week, no crack. Um, but um, well, I might as well cover, we're 0 for 4, that's great, <laughs> praise God. Um, but I, I was steadily drinking, I was in quite a bit of financial debt, and I was deep into a relationship with someone who I really did not trust, but I thought I couldn't do better than that's definitely what was in my head. And so I was trying to make it work with her. Um, and it was just a very difficult relationship. I was confident that she was actively cheating on me, which she was, I later found out. Um, we owned a car together because that's what you do. Um, you know, we didn't live together, but we, we owned things together like this. It was a stupid, stupid move. Listen, children, don't do that. And I don't know why I unloaded to her with such depth, but she just said, you know, I'd love to just pray for you. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll hear that out. And she spent time praying for me, and she, she came up to me later in the evening, and, and she's just like, you know, hey, is there, is there anything else I could ever be praying for you for? Just like moving forward, we've kind of covered the past. And I downloaded more with her. And she said, um, would, you, would you ever wanna do this? Like, we have a group of people in our home Monday nights. Um, would, would you ever wanna just come and download what's happening in your life? Uh, we share a meal together. Uh, it's attached to a local church. So we talk about the sermon, but we pray for each other and we, we are community to one another. And I don't know why I said yes to this, because of all the people that had asked me to participate in Christian community before, it was the first time I had genuinely said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. And, and I think part of it was just how much I appreciated that she took the time to pray for me. Whether I believed her or not. Um, but just felt so cared for. Here we go. This is why we bring water. Amen. And. So I show up to this group, 
three married couples and um, a single girl. I'm now married to her. Um, <laughs> and, and not only did I meet Jesus, but I met Melinda. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I'm still actively dating my now ex, my permanent ex. Um, and, and honestly, it had no interest in really dating. You know, I was trying to make this relationship work. And so I was just very honest about where I was at and what I believed and, and, and the things that were happening in my life. I honestly wasn't trying to hide anything um, because I wasn't yet trying to impress Melinda. That came later. Um, and, but this group just genuinely loved me and came around me and became my community. And they became the friends that I wanted to go to happy hour with and hang out with. And um, they were practically involved in my life. Um, and um, I, I, I didn't like the fact that they discussed the sermons each week because I didn't go to the service. And I just felt like intellectually left out and so I started going to their church and listening to the preaching, um, timing it so I could come in after the music. Sorry, Brian. Um, coming in after the music and listening, taking diligent notes, and then leaving and getting out before communion was served. And I would go each week um, to this group, and we would engage on these subjects and just talk. And they were so gentle with me. And, you know, no, they were just, they meant a lot to me. Um, about four months into this, um, I, was, I was exhausted, man. I, um, I was studying for my LSATs, which if you don't know is, is quite, the, quite the test. And you do a lot of preparatory work the way you would do for your SATs or anything like that. So I'm taking 21 credits. I had an infection in the back of my throat that I didn't have health insurance for. So I was using, this is pre-Obama. And so I'm using the school nurse to get treatment for that and it wasn't really working well. And I'm tired and I'm working full time and I'm going to school um, at this insane clip. And I'm trying to study for my LSATs and I'm trying to keep things together with my girlfriend. And um, she's not talking to me anymore and she's no longer making payments on the car. And it just, it just could, it, 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 was, it couldn't get worse. And, I was taking on exorbitant credit card debt, just trying to keep uh, the appearance to others that I had things figured out. And um, it kind of came to a breaking point in late August where an attorney that I was talking to about the situation said, you really gotta get that collateral back, the car. And so my small group helped me steal that car back. Um, and we, we, um, he told us he told us how we thought we should best approach it, and um, we um, one of she she was working in jewelry at the time, and my sorry this is getting lengthy. It, 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 it is unfortunately not fortunately um, being recorded. Um, I uh, so but but one of one of the people in my small group uh, set up an appointment to go buy a ring from her that night or at least a shop for one. And so we knew, we knew that she would be there, and while she was there, another person in my group and I cleared that car out, got, got everything into trash bags, so we were only taking the collateral, not her stuff, and walked in there, dropped that stuff uh, in the middle of her jewelry room floor, and walked back out and took the car. And that night, 
um, <laughs> about, you know this story, don't you? <laughs> um, that, that night, um, I got a call from the Seattle Police Department, or at least somebody claiming to be uh, part of the Seattle Police Department, and we had pre-called and told them what we were doing. Um, but the guy I was talking to, uh, in his mind, this was taking a vehicle without an owner's authorization. This is Grand Theft Auto in their minds. And I didn't know what to think of that. Because this attorney had given me pretty good advice, but how good do you feel about your attorney at two in the morning? And um, so I, I, he basically told me if I, if I didn't, basically didn't come to the Seattle police with that car, uh, that they would arrest me that night. And so I was sitting on the edge of my bed thinking this guy could be totally full of it or he could be totally right. And he read me my address, which I had moved since my girlfriend knew it, so she didn't know that address. So I was quite afraid that they were actually the police. And I thought, yeah, this is probably low, the lowest of low. And I, I've been thinking about God for four months now in a serious way. And so I said to him, probably, I don't know if it was a dumb prayer or not, but I just said, man, if you're real, I could really use you to show up. And, and at least give me the confidence that you're real. At least give me some, some foundation to know how to go through the night. And so um, the church that I was at gave me this paperback ESV that was up on my shelf. And um, I didn't, you know, my biblical literacy was lacking. And so at two in the morning, I cracked the Bible open in the middle, roughly, and I came upon this. I'll read it to you so you can have some scripture this morning. This is Psalm 3, which if you don't know is David's psalm when uh, his son Absalom is attempting to usurp his throne, and he's afraid that his bodyguards might kill him in the night. So David and I were relating. It says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. Sorry. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And I lay down and slept, and I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you, O Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I weep when I preach, I weep when I share. Mm. But I just felt it was so so unbelievably dialed to what I was experiencing in that moment and just really felt that it was God speaking to me through David and through David's experience. And I just felt, I remember praying after reading that and I was just like, I think you're actually real. And I'm pretty good with anything else that happens tonight. Um, that if you're with me, I'm all right. And um, so like David said, I lay down and slept. Um, I think I woke up nine, 10 hours later. I slept beautifully. 
I had been under so much stress just from the debt and everything going on in my life. And I just felt this assurance that not only was I loved and spoken for, that my record was spoken for, but that he would be my sustainer through whatever, whatever unraveling this was going to mean. Amen is right. He's great. And um, so that has been the pivot point of my life. Um, and, you know, we got things figured out with the car. Fear, fear not. I did not get arrested. <laughs> I still don't know what to make of that night um, other than that the, um, the all-powerful creator of the universe had my back. And that's good enough. And we spent months legally untangling all of that. Again, guys, don't buy cars with your girlfriends. Um, it's a horrible, horrible move. Um, but that community was everything to me. Um, and really showed me what it was to have brothers and sisters in Christ who you didn't have to be afraid of walking things out in the light. You didn't have to be afraid of who you are because you're loved and spoken for um, by your creator. Um, yeah, I don't know if I should leave it there or not, but it, it, other than just to say that, like, um, it's not been an easy Christian experience. It's been quite painful. Um, but God has continued to be faithful. He's continued to show me what a foundation um, he is permanently for me. Um, yeah, I just... I, I continue to reconcile his love for me. I think it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But that's more or less my story. Beautiful. Is that it? Thanks for sharing. <laughs> okay. Thanks for sharing, dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I share mine real quick? I wasn't planning on it. Do you got it in you to hear one more? I'll be quick. Um, I was born and raised in Woodstock, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta, and um, to a Christian family. Mom and dad followed Jesus. Uh, my grandparents were Christians. And so I grew up in the church, a church like this. My mom played the piano, and um, my dad and my brother and I would sit on the third row, and um, I would hear the gospel every week. Um, and it, it grew from a church like this size to a church of 8,000 people over the course of my life upcoming through age 18. So uh, I heard a sermon about hell when I was, because I was in a Southern Baptist church in Woodstock, Georgia, like I said. So hell, anyway, I heard about hell and, I got, and it genuinely scared me. So I got baptized the following week because I thought that's what you do. There's fire, water, God will figure it out. I, that's what I worked with. So uh, I got baptized the next week, and, but I didn't know much about the gospel, actually, but I thought I did the thing, you know, and uh, grew up as an average kid playing soccer, um, struggled immensely in school. I can't, I won't go any further than that, but it was a disaster. Um, got through uh, into, I got placed out of the eighth grade into ninth grade. Uh, I did not pass the eighth grade. That's what happens when your behavior is so poor. They just go, you gotta go, man. So they placed me, and they circled that on my report card to make it really clear, you didn't pass. So um, I failed all my classes in the eighth grade except typing. Uh, I passed by a point. And so they 
put me into the ninth grade. Um, and I started to just, conti- well, I continued getting into things that just some kids that are going down that particular path go down. So I did. Um, and I was racked with some anxiety. Um, was diagnosed with a couple of things uh, surrounding bipolar and uh, ADD and all the other things. Of course, if you were born in 1980 and you didn't pay attention for like two seconds, everybody gave you Ritalin. It's like, Ritalin, there you go. It's probably, it's like, maybe not, maybe we should. Anyway, um, but nonetheless, went, started going down a path and making a lot of decisions um, that were really, really poor decisions. And a lot of time in summer school, things like that. And uh, it was about a month before I turned 16, uh, I went to our church to hang out with my girlfriend, and this band played, and they quoted John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And in that moment, I believed the gospel for the first time, and, and really believed it. And I looked over at my friend Mikey, who is still my friend to this day, and I told Mikey, I was like, dude, I believe that. He's like, yeah, right, man. I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I believe that, man. He's like, oh, like for real. I was like, yes, I believe that. He's like, you should, you should, you should probably pray or something. I was like, yeah, and so I <laughs> prayed. And the following week, I was baptized, and. Um, and about 90 days later, I knew Jesus was calling me into the ministry. I didn't know what that would look like. Now I know. But it took a long time. Um, I finished high school, the bottom of my class. Um, I took the SAT three times, and I got lower scores every time. How does that happen? <laughs> I won't tell you how bad it was. Okay, you want to know my worst score? It was a 740. That's what you get for putting your name on it. Like, just for signing up to take it. Like, we'll give you 740 points. I can't tell you how bad it is, like, academically. I just, I didn't have the mind for it. Uh, But I got out of uh, high school and uh, was accepted at North Greenville University in South Carolina on academic probation and uh, went in and made all A's. Uh, the first semester, <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe either this is a terrible school or something's going on. And so I went another semester and another and kept doing well in school and went all the way through. And um, Jesus had just changed my life. He changed my life. Um, I began to fall out of love with the things of the world and fell in love with Jesus and fell in love with the church. I met Jana in college. We got married right after. We've served the church all our lives together, and we're going to keep doing that. So he, you know, like the rest of you that know him, he moved into my life, and he changed me, and he's changing me. And that's my story. There you go. There you go. So, um. With that being said, um, let's wrap up here. In Revelation 12, it says, they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so what we'll do now is we'll take communion together and we'll remember it was the blood of the lamb 
that changed our lives. He's changed many of your lives. If you don't know Jesus, this is your invitation to place your faith in him.